Whether you're a small business or an enterprise power player, if you want to beat your competition, you must create more video ads than ever before. However, the video production process has traditionally been expensive and time-consuming, but QuickFrame by Mountain is here to change that. No matter the size of your business, QuickFrame unlocks access to a global network of creators and production companies eager to deliver a more efficient way for your brand to produce high-quality video content. Visit quickframe.com to learn more. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is a true quadruple threat as a performer, a singer, a dancer, an actor. He has done it all at a very young age on the big screen, the small screen, the Broadway stage. I first got a chance to see our guest, Ephraim Sykes, playing the role, Tony-nominated role, I might add, of David Ruffin lead singer of the original Temptations in the great, great Broadway show, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have a chance to talk to you today. So welcome, Ephraim. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, this is great. So I want to start by talking about uh, one of the places that's in your educational background, and that's okay. the Ailey School yeah, yeah. as part of Fordham. And one of the great training grounds, I love that you started there at Alley. So, uh, you know, before we get to all the great Broadway and TV, I know you uh, just had a great run uh, with Russian Doll, but I'd love to talk about those early roots and that early experience back at Alley. Yeah, man. Um, thank you for asking that because I owe, I mean, almost everything to that establishment, to that, you know, those teachers there that style of training, that kind of real artist, I say true artist development that they do there. Um, and, you know, just, it was kind of by happenstance that it even turned out like that. Because for me coming from Florida, you know, I always danced, but I was also more uh, musician heavy. Um, and by the time I graduated college, actually I didn't audition for Ailey in Fordham. I just didn't assume that, you know, I heard of Fordham. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna have the grades getting to Fordham. You know, and I was just like, I'm gonna, you know, uh, auditioned for a couple of other, my other favorite schools, didn't get into Juilliard, didn't get into some of the other ones in terms of like dance and arts that I wanted to get in, get into. So I was about to hang it up and take myself to an HBCU at Tennessee State University. I was going to do the marching band there and like, you know, uh, they had a theater program I was going to go to. Um, and yeah, I was never intending on being in New York at all. And it just so happened that that summer after my I graduated high school, I was like, I'm going to go to New York and dance one more time because they have the summer intensives there. Um, so I went to Alvin Ailey. They gave me a scholarship for this summer intensive. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, do this one last hurrah and hang up my ballet shoes. Um, and maybe two weeks before that program ended, the head of the program, uh, Denise Jefferson, rest in peace, and Miss um, uh, Forsyth over there, who's the head of BFA, uh, they called me into a room randomly. And they're like, hey, would you mind doing a solo for us? I was like, uh, okay. And uh, they bring a couple of other faculty into the room and I do this solo for them. Um, and right after I finished it, they're like, have you thought about coming to Fordham for college? We have a BFA program and we'd love to give you a scholarship to come here. And I was like, uh, okay. And literally two weeks before school started, I called up Tennessee State, told them I'm not coming. And they gave me a, a scholarship to come here to New York. 
my dad packed my little shit up in a U-Haul and drove me up here and dropped me off. And, you know, from that point, I haven't looked back. But, uh, you know, that institution itself, again, I say it really has, it A, taught me how to work hard, like be in love with the craft, be in love with your work more so than, you know, the destinations, if you will, or the stages that you're going to be on. I loved being in class just as much as I love being on stage. And they, uh, they really informed some real individuality and spirituality in their work. I don't know how much you've seen of the Ailey Company, but it's a very spiritual company. Not that it's all like it has uh, the Christian form of spirituality, but, you know, the kind of artistic thing that you move from the spirit first. You know what I mean? So that honestly is what started me off, I think, as an actor. Before I could use my mouth, I had to learn how to act with my body because, you know, dancing at Ailey is all storytelling. It's all about what you're saying with your body. So, um, again, I just give so much credit to my how well I've done um, and what I've been able to do in all my genres of uh, and crafts because of where I started out at Ailey. And I heard your voice crack and I could see how much those early teachers meant to you. Yeah, yeah, it's... It, it's, it's, I'm getting chills thinking about it, man, because, you know, these teachers, they saw me and they, just, they believed in me. And I don't even know why. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't the kid that had, like, the highest legs and flexibility to do the most turns and all that. They just thought I had something special and they gave me a chance. Um, and especially, like I said, Miss uh, Denise Jefferson, who, rest in peace, she started the Ailey School. You know, it's one of the, the director of the Ailey School since back in, like, the 70s and 80s. And she just, yeah, man, they gave me a shot. And it's... I, I can't thank them enough for believing in me. So one of the great joys of doing this Great Minds podcast is we get a chance to talk about people who aren't talked about enough. And I asked you the question, not only Ephraim to hear about your experience, but also to give us an excuse to talk about Alvin Alley. Yeah. And one of my great joys in life was I was friends with the people that ran City Center Theater, which, as you know, oh, wow. has yeah. been a home of the Alvin Alley Dance Company for many, many, many years. Talk about him as a seminal figure um, oh, in not just dance, but in American culture. Yeah, man. And I'm glad you said, too, thank you for that, because he truly does not uh, get the credit that he deserves enough. People don't know his story, don't know the impact that he's made on this entire country, this entire world. You know, that's the Ailey Company is the most traveled and most world-renowned company in, in the world. And for him to have done that as a Black man coming up out of the South in the 30s and 40s and 50s, like, you know, when, uh, you know, modern dance is one of Americans' first true forms of art. Um, so the time that he did it in and to create an all, inter and not just an all black company, but a truly intermixed and a diverse, an actual diverse company. He always had that kind of foresight, even way back then, like that was so trend setting, you know what I mean? For, um, and trailblazing for what this man did. He always stood up for the people. He always stood up for the, the poor. He always stood up for the weakest. He always stood up for people of color that, you know, weren't given the, that were, you know, weren't given the kind of chances in life and don't, weren't able to see themselves as beautiful and strong and powerful. His choreography, his whole purpose in life, and everything he did advocated for that and for those purposes and for LGBTQ plus rights. Like this man was trailblazing before trailblazing was cool. You know what I mean? And, you know, again, this, this guy being the first to do it and then being a genius on top of it. You know what I mean? Like to have that kind of heart to give to the people like that and actually be that great uh, way beyond his years, man. He just, he set so many people up for success and for greatness and yeah the history on him 
Uh, I'm waiting for this biopic to come out. I need it to happen ASAP because, again, just very few people really know the impact that he's had on all of our lives. Yeah, incredible uh, uh, story and a legacy which still resonates today and will tomorrow, as you said, not just here in New York and America, but all over the world. Truly, truly. Amazing. So let's talk about your pathway from Florida ultimately to New York. It was a great story you told how you got there. Um, but, you know, when you were St. Petersburg, you don't think of it as a, as a breeding ground for talent at your level. You're an extraordinary, special, special talent, a once in a lifetime talent. Talk about growing up in St. Petersburg, encouragement from your parents, teachers in high school. Talk about the early days of Ephraim. Uh, it's funny enough you say that, because again, you're right in that when you think of St. Pete, Florida, you don't think that that's a breeding ground for like <laughs> crazy talent, and high art, and, but it actually is. It's really kind of, when I think about where I come from and how fortunate that I randomly wound up in St. Petersburg, Florida, not Miami, not Jacksonville, not, you know, Orlando and all these other places that everybody knows of and that, you know, kind of you think of a little bit more when you think of that kind of talent, that level. St. Petersburg is truly kind of remarkable with the artists that it has produced. And sadly enough, uh, sometimes I get a little bit of survivor's remorse, if I'm being honest with you, because a lot of the ones that are that great and that talented, the world has never even seen I saw them. My family saw them. We grew up in church together. And, you know, again, glory be to God for that. That's all where this hat today. This hat says just God. It just happens to be, you know, my father's a pastor. My mom's a gospel singer and evangelist. They're both musicians. My most, uh, you know, so I grew up in a breeding ground just in the black church itself, as you, you know, know how that kind of can go. Um, but, and therefore was encouraged to use whatever, you know, whether it's just you clapping on beat or if you've got a great voice, you can hold a tambourine or me, I saw my mom play the drum, so I hopped on the drums. They found out I could dance, so they made me dance. They put me in the choir since I could talk. You know, so it just was a place of encouragement from the day I was born to use my gifts, use my voice, use my body as a way of praise, as a way of expression. Uh, so starting in that church, but the randomly, St. Petersburg has a, um, an arts magnet chain. So they have an elementary, middle, and a high school that an, as they're, as they're all magnet schools. So you have Perkins Elementary, John Hopkins Middle School, and Gibbs High, Pinellas County Center for the Arts. They all like, they kind of like a, a, a pipeline, if you will, of arts. They give us instruments. You can choose if you want to be an instrumentalist, you want to be a singer, an actor, a dancer. Uh, so my parents were able to get me enrolled into that program when I was in the fourth grade. And I originally started out as a musician because my parents were musicians playing the saxophone, playing the drums. I don't know if you can see, I still got them hanging up on my walls. I got my yeah. drums back here, like it never stopped. And just randomly one day I was in my um, instrumental music class playing my saxophone and the, the ballet teacher walks in and she's like, hey, sorry to stop you guys' class, but we need a few more little boys for the, uh, the Nutcracker that we're putting on this year. So they made me go to this audition. It was my first time ever doing or seeing ballet. And I guess I had a natural kind of knack for it. So not only did I get to perform in that Nutcracker, they started to have me do uh, sort of like a dual um, uh, major. So I was a dancer and an instrumentalist. And I took that all the way through middle school and high school. Uh, so, so yeah, I grew up with some incredibly talented people around me, man. I, these kids, my sister, my little sister being one of them, she's on tour with the Lion King right now playing Shinzi. Um, and it's the reason that we started this scholarship fund about three or four years ago 
Uh, every year we go back home and we give some money to our high school, to two deserving seniors that are looking to graduate from our high school and continue on in the arts, whether that's in New York or college or whatever, just because that school and that St. Petersburg gave us so much actually when it comes to uh, really encouraging and teaching us how to be artistic and using our voices in that way. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's, I've had a, a, a great foundation. It's a great story. And I guess there are all these little pockets and I'll, I'll say, you know, in my part, ignorance. Um, I was talking to Michael Imperioli. We had him on uh, the podcast. You know him as uh, from The Sopranos, but you know, yeah. he's done so much, uh, so much other stuff. And he's from Mount Vernon in New okay. York, which I would also say, I never thought of Mount Vernon as a hotbed of talent. And he gave me the list of all these folks that we both know who are from Mount yeah. Vernon, including people like Denzel Washington. Right. And I'm like, I had no idea. So who yeah, knew man. that St. Petersburg was a hotbed? Yo, you got Kenny Leon that's from St. Petersburg, Florida. You got Angela Bassett from St. Petersburg, Florida. You got uh, this guy, another one of my friends, rest in peace, Marcus Lynch, uh, who was original. He was in the Mickey Mouse Club with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears back in the day. And like, was more talented. He was one of the, one of the original Simbas on Broadway back in the day. He was one of the first Ailey dancers for the BFA program. Like, literally, I remember, I'll never forget, man. I'll tell you this story. He used to go to my church. He has three other brothers, too. And they are all phenomenally talented like that. And when I walked into church, my dad had just started there. And he got up and started singing, like literally singing this, like Tevin Campbell, that type of voice, and then did this whole dance solo. I'd never seen a man dance like that before. I mean, he was the most phenomenally talented person I've literally still to this date maybe seen. Um, and he came to New York. He kind of played the way for me and got me like interested in the arts, honestly. And look, sadly, he, uh, he passed a few years back, way before his time. Um, so there's a guy named Sabrock Warren on Broadway right now who just can't, he stepped into my shoes as David Ruffin after I left. You know what I mean? Like they, there's, a, there's a, a hotbed of talent in St. Pete, man. It is, I'm glad people don't know and they're slowly going to start learning, hopefully more and right. more. All right. man, All right. they, we, they're turning them out down there. I think they should make you a spokesman for the Chamber of Commerce down there. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about something that, uh, um, that I normally would think was from people from generations prior to yours, but your dad's a pastor, you grew up in the church and singing in the church. Was there any issue in this day and age, back in the day when Darlene Love started singing in the church, there was a big issue around going from singing gospel music to secular music. Yeah, and yeah. that was a big issue when Sam Cooke crossed over from the Soul Stirrers and yeah singing secular music was that an issue in this day and age for you with your dad at all or not really luckily i was blessed to have a father that's a pastor that is a very open-minded well-rounded uh sort of pastor he's not the cutthroat die by the bible we don't accept anything other than he's always encouraged me to be open and he is open some of his best friends are rabbis and the nation of islam and you know, this person that is an atheist, like he's one of those big, huge, open-hearted, open-minded people that teaches the Bible in a way of that, like, yo, we're all human. And the only thing that we know that Jesus actually said and did was just say, love everybody like you love yourself, right? Everything else, is that's not for us to judge. You're right. Okay. So like, I, okay. he encouraged me. He's like, as long as you're using your gifts and you, he had me, I used to have a boy band back in high school, man. And um, we had a, we had an R&B band, man. We had a song on the radio down in St. Pete. 
And he was so proud of me that he had us come and sing that song at the church. You know what I'm saying? Like he just did, as long as people were using their gifts, he didn't care. He was like, just do it and do it well. That's great. I love that story. Cause, and I guess the common thread is the church is such an important place, not only for culture, but also development of music and musical talent. The number of people who started their careers from the old, old days, names we mentioned like Darlene Love and Sam Cooke and Martha Reeves to right up to the present day with people like you, the role of the church is absolutely critical. Absolutely, man. I mean, if you really think back historically, the church pretty much, or at least uh, I, the church pretty much, and that's how I put that in quotations because it's really spirituality. Historically, from back in slavery times, it's responsible for almost all the music we have in America at all right now. Every genre, every style, every artist, you can trace it back to the shouts and hollers of the blues of the black church back in slavery yeah. times. Literally, it's produced almost all art as we know it here in America. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, you know, I, I love a lot of that old music and particularly the really, really old blues. And you probably want a few people I could mention the name Sun House and you'll know who I'm talking about. I actually don't. Okay. So I'm going to teach you something, young man. Please. When, when we're done, I want you to look up Sun House. Okay. And look, uh, and I'm going to give you a song to listen to called John the Revelator. Okay. And it's very simple music. It's sun and a guitar. Yeah. Um, this goes back to like the Robert Johnson era. Okay. Names like Lightning Hopkins and really the early, early pioneers of the blues. But when I'm down, and I don't know how you, you know what music you listen to when you're down, but when I'm down, I listen to the blues and the blues lifts me up. Oh yeah, actually and, it does. And um, when I'm really down, I listen to Sun House. Tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator. Tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator. Tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator. Wrote the book of the seven seals. Who's that writing, John the Revelator. Uh, so you give a listen, and we'll talk after this, and you'll tell me All what right. you think. I'm happy to do so. Okay, I'm, so my, back, my, back, when back I'm down, I go back to like a my old school go to for when I'm down, and he's more on the R&B side, but he's gospel blues based. Is Donny Hathaway? Sure. Oh, great, incredible voice. Yeah, yeah we man. we we did a great show last year at the Apollo, and oh. he is beloved at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah, beloved. man, beloved. Okay, so back to you. This is about you, not about me. Um, so. You, you're sort of a quadruple threat. I, I would say more than that, but I don't know what comes after quadruple. You <laughs> dance, you're a choreographer, you're an actor, you're a singer, you're a musician. Uh, talk about the early days. You get out of school, you're starting to make it as a commercial uh, artist. And we'll use that word. It's sort of, a, a I think, a, the best choice of words by me, but we'll, we'll use them anyway. And I know you got an appearance on 30 Rock, about yeah. 15, 16 years ago. But talk <laughs> about that early, early, you know, time of trying to break into the business. Yeah, man, I, I, that in particular, um, I was finding some decent luck. I, I'm gonna take you a little bit before that, right? And give you the bullet points version of it because it's just interesting. After I left Ailey, uh, I was in Ailey 2 for two years, dancing that second company. My heart, and I was almost tunnel vision of being that first company. Uh, and 
I got there two years in a row and it came down to like myself and one other guy and it was, they went with the other guy. So it's like when it came to Ailey and those concert dance things, I kind of noticed sort of the universe and God shutting the doors around me as if like, no, actually I want to take you somewhere else. And I was like, couldn't figure out why the hell I, something I worked so hard for and thought I had this gifting for wasn't working out. The next call I got was from a concert choreographer from the A-League company uh, that was working on Broadway uh, and kind of does the Broadway thing conjointly said, hey, I think you'll be great uh, as this uh, replacement for The Little Mermaid. That's how I got my Broadway debut. It was randomly from an A-League connection. Um, I went in there and I, that was my very first Broadway audition and that ended up being my first Broadway show. Once I got there, I realized I was like, oh, Broadway is a place that, you know, growing up as a kid, I always said that I, whatever I do, I didn't really know. I just wanted to be able to do everything I love at the same time. So I got on the Broadway stage and I started dancing and singing and now I'm starting to actually act a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is the closest I've ever had to having that full circle feeling uh, simultaneously. So then uh, that's when I really started to get the acting bug, if you will, or started to, I just wanted to know more about it or get chances to try it out. Uh, and luckily I got an audition one day, literally day of my agents called me and said, hey man, 30 Rock wants you to come in, just learn this one sentence and come in and, uh, you know, just freestyle a little bit for him. I was like, uh, okay. And I threw on some clothes and literally had to be there within like two hours and somehow randomly booked this role on 30 Rock. Uh, and again, it was also saying, because every time, even when it's the first Broadway show to this 30 Rock thing, I was so interested in trying something new that I, you know, the fear never made me say no, or made me like say, you know, I wasn't ready. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna just I'm gonna wing it and see how it goes. And you know, I've kind of continued in that fashion of like, I, I just want to have a chance and I want to learn and um, I'm interested in acting. So let me just go for anything that, you know, I can get my hands on uh, and see who will give me a chance and then I'll learn and grow from there. So that's kind of how that happened. Great, great story. And, uh, and seems like you were gaining momentum both on the digital screen or the, whatever, you know, let's just use simple words, TV, and theater. I mean, you were in a lot of great shows. I remember, you know, Memphis and, and Motown the Musical and Rent. And, you know, you were in some awfully big shows, Ephraim. Yeah, man, I was very fortunate. And uh, that's why I, uh, people ask me now is I, I've kind of turned my focus a little bit more towards the TV film genre. And people ask, like, oh, you know, are you leaving Broadway? Are you leaving the stage? And I would say, I'll never leave the stage. And Broadway has been such a cultivating and welcoming and supportive sort of home for me here in this city. It's like damn near, you know, especially as an actor, as a triple threat has really given me the the breeding ground to really fly and try things. It's been so supportive. This that That's a real community and family that I have here in New York on Broadway that I'll never leave behind. Even, and I'm just simply trying to take what I've done on Broadway and now apply it to more TV screens and uh, movie screens, hopefully, you know, that's, that's my goal now. Fantastic. So can we talk about theater just a little bit more? Absolutely. So you were part of the original cast of Hamilton yeah. in 2016. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar the ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter by 14. 
They placed him in charge of a trading charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came And uh, we were very lucky at Advertising Week We had Lin-Manuel uh, on stage a couple years ago um, And, you know, another very special talent yeah, and man. and that original cast, and I've been, I'm a big fan of the show. I've seen it all. We just, my wife and I were just in New Orleans. It was one of those 110 degree days. We said we got to go inside. <laughs> Hamilton, Hamilton was touring. We went to the Sanger Theater. And, oh wow! And a beautiful old theater in New Orleans. And just saw it literally about a month ago. Again, probably the eighth or ninth time. That original cast was incredible. Yeah. And you played uh, George Eckert, who ultimately shoots their son philip in yeah. the second of two duels in the show um or two duels that are referred to in the show uh a great part but talk about being part of that original cast and all those talented people i mean leslie odom jr and david diggs and philip sue and lynn manuel of course i mean an endless cast of who's the guy chris jackson who played george washington yeah an amazing cast amazing Man, I, I'm getting chills again just because I, I, it was like a, one of those kind of perfect storm moments. Like, you can't imagine something like that happening in your lifetime. You know what I mean? Like, I was fortunate enough to work with Andy Blankenbuehler and Tommy Kale and um, Lin Manuel a few times before Alex Lackmore on. We did the the Wiz together back in the day, and that was like right when I was getting started on Broadway. And these guys immediately were like, "Yo, who is this guy? We love him, especially as a dancer. He can do all these things, triple threat, blah blah blah." So. You know, from then went to, you know, work with Andy and even Tommy a bit. And, you know, they, they kind of stick together, that creative team. They're such a brilliant working force. So I did kind of bring it on with them. You know, I was kind of helping them develop other pieces. So when they got the idea, uh, slash when Lynn got the idea, started writing this piece and knew that they wanted to, you know, take it to the stage, I get a call from my agency media, like saying, you know, pretty much Andy was like, I know I have to have Ephraim be a part of this because he's just somebody... Like I said, I, I would help Andy, you know, do pre-pro workshop, choreograph, help, you know, I mean, that's what dancers do for choreographers, too. We come in early, even before rehearsals start on a certain project, and we'll help the choreographer develop the language and develop the choreography for the show that he's going to put up, right? Uh, so I've done that a number of times for this guy. So he immediately, myself with a few others, like a John Rua, um, Ariana DeBose, who was my partner, who now has an Oscar, right? Like, that's, you know, he, they, they, one of the brilliant things about a lot of the shows I've done, and uh, this one is, is by far, you know, even more so, the brilliance is not only on the page and on the stage, but the brilliance is in the casting, knowing the right people who can deliver the things that, you know, can help make the dream come true. So they literally put together this dream team. They assembled their Avengers the way, the ones that they wanted, man. And we just, you know, got this genius piece of work in front of us. I remember when me and Leslie were doing the, we did the first reading of it back in 2014. Uh, just literally sitting at music stands, reading it off the page, and we looked at each other. He's like, this is about to change all of theater. And I, we knew immediately, like, this was going to be the one. And it still surpassed even that expectation. It's literally become this cultural phenomenon that we, we couldn't imagine it move like this, man. So, again, it was just a, this perfect storm of, like, right place, right time, having done the right work before. And, you know, these geniuses around us that want to have their favorite people in a room to create some more genius work, man. It's just 
I'm very, very thankful to have been a part of that process. Great, great story, Ephraim. And, 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 you know, you hit it. I mean, that show broke new creative ground. Yeah. And that's very hard to do. Listen, Ain't Too Proud to Beg was a great show. And I, I really, I mean, you're, I went back and saw it three times just to see you. Uh, because I think wow. your, your performance is David Ruffin, who's a, you know, a seminal figure in music, uh, another sort of tragic figure, very much, you know, like, sort of like Wilson Pickett, I guess, lived a little longer, but another guy who had a really hard life and hard yeah. time with drugs and alcohol, much like David. Um, but that show, that's a formula. That's sort of that yeah, yeah. jukebox musical, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's different than Jersey Boys, but it's the same as Jersey Boys. But it's the same kind of template. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, you know, Carol King show. You know, there's a certain formula there. Hamilton, there, there was no formula. No, it set precedent. It set a new template. Now people are basing their shows, even... Ain't Too Proud had a bit of Hamilton in it and that it's using the, the uh, what's the circular, uh, I can't think of the uh, the rotating thing on the stage yeah. now. Like yeah. every, That's a part of three or four shows I've seen since Hamilton, right? Like the way people are doing shows now is based off of now this new template that we somehow, they somehow were able to build and just dream up, just think big. And that's one thing I, I just credit all of them with. They really, they're some geniuses and they think really outside the box and not afraid to, say fuck it and try something new that's really inspiring absolutely fantastic stuff I, I love getting a chance to talk about things like this so let's talk about your journey to ain't too proud uh what a fantastic show funny i i was very friendly with a guy named josh Berger, who was one of the oh, producers yeah. you know you know josh i know josh yeah that's my buddy yeah from because he ran warner and the whole harry potter franchise globally out of london an american guy but yeah out of London and we became friendly over there. And then when I was seeing the show for the first time, I see he's one of the producers and his dad was the original manager, right? Yep. Was it Cyberger? Uh, Shelly Burger. Shelly Burger. So, uh, but I had no idea that was Josh's uh, dad, dad yeah, uh, sort of a bit role in the show. But uh, talk about that journey and what that must've been like for you getting on stage eight times a week playing David Ruffin. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have a belief for your sympathy, I don't mind because you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud of try to give you the short version of that journey too because it's wild and just again how my life has continued to unfold just in a way that I couldn't have foreseen I literally had just finished doing Hairspray out in LA with uh, Ariana Grande, Jennifer Hudson, Martin Short, all those people um, had this fantastic time doing that got a lot of great uh, feedback and attention while I was out there in LA and like you know agents and managers and all of Hollywood was buzzing like I had maybe 30 some odd meetings with almost every network right after that finished. And everybody's like, all right, Ephraim, this is your time. Let's come to LA. Let's do this TV film thing. You've got this momentum behind you. People want to see you on the camera more now. They love you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, let's go. I was literally coming back to New York to pack up my shit and head out to LA, which I've kind of always wanted to do. And I remember I was with Derek Baskin one night who played Otis Williams in um, 
Ain't Too Proud. And funny enough, I made my Broadway debut. He was one of the princes in Little Mermaid. He was one of the principals in Memphis, played Gator. He's been my big brother and like a tutor and a guide to me since I started acting and doing this. Like he's literally been there for me. Me and him were in, our, in a dog park one night, walking our dogs. And I get an email from my agent saying, hey, I know you, we're not looking at theater right now, but this piece called Ain't Too Proud about the Temptations just came across. They want you to come in for David Ruffin. And I tell him about it. He's like, man, I'm doing Otis. You have to at least audition for this. He's like, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's a great role for you. Uh, and I know you want to do the TV thing, but he says, hey, just, I'm gonna say he did, he kind of dirty. He's like, I'm gonna send you the script. Just, I'm not supposed to, but just read it. And if you connect to it, go in and do it. And I'll never forget, I actually went out to LA already. Um, Cause I told him, I was like, look, I'm gonna be here. They're like, look, we're gonna fly out. We'll audition you out there. I read the script and there's parts of it that literally started to sing itself to me even before I knew the music and like the words. I connected to that piece so deeply that like at first read I'm crying, like literally just at how much this, it just made sense. This guy, David Ruffin, who's one of my heroes, of course, it just made sense. He reminds, and he reminds me of people in my family that had those kind of addictions that died, those kind of deaths that live those kind of lives, but I understand them. You know what I mean? I, I, we love those uncles and those cousins still, right? Um, so I have my audition in LA and they called me immediately like, hey man, Sergio, who, you know, helped me get on Broadway with uh, Memphis back in the day, was like, look, he said, look, baby, this is your role. This is your Tony moment. You're, you're gonna be great in this. You have to do it. I know LA is calling, but <laughs> you, you have to do this show. It's gonna be, and I was like, man, so I, I, I told my agents and I was like, look, y'all, I know we're supposed to be pushing for this right now, but I have to do this show. They were like, Ephraim, are you sure? Now is not the time for theater. You need to. I was like, y'all, I promise you, I don't know what it is, but I have to do it. And lo and behold, you know, I get into it and step into this, these shoes uh, that were doing eight times a week was the most frightening thing I've ever done in my life, man. Um, trying to step into this iconic person that everybody knows so well. He's literally seven inches taller than, him, than me in real life. He has a voice that's the most unmistakable voice, this charisma, this swag that is unmistakable, not to mention having to throw a mic up in the dark, turn around and catch it and do a split every night um, and singing away and with this rasp and husk and gut that I've never ever attempted before. I had to find that voice night by night and hope to pray to God I had it the next night. So it was just in that way, because it was so frightening, the most thrilling roller coaster ride I've ever taken before, man. And just like every time I got that afraid, God and the universe would meet me on the other side of it and just show up and seem like these little miracles would happen, man. It's just, I'm again extremely thankful for what that time ended up being and just again being willing to say yes, even though I was really afraid and everybody was saying do something different, you know? Uh, it was such a seminal role. And, uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker and, you know, love the theater and that performance uh, in my lifetime of going to the theater. And I first, my grandfather first took me when I was in my teens, probably almost about 45 years ago, at least. And that performance was incredible. Uh, and uh, I think it speaks volumes. You were nominated for the Tony and I know the album, cast album was nominated. Uh, the one that you won and just being nominated, of course, at that level is incredible. So that that's a win right there in my book. Absolutely. But, but that the audience, you know, voted you as their favorite breakthrough performer yeah. that year. I think the audience that says the audience got you. Yeah. And, and what you did, you know, night after night, you know, uh, as uh, David Ruffin, it was just an incredible performance effort. It really, really was.
That really means the world, man. I, I get, uh, I'm just thinking I got a chance to like have something. I've always wanted to have a role like that to be ugly, leave it all out there, go for broke, you know, scream to the top of my lungs in the pain that I've experienced in my own life, especially as a young black man growing up in the South and all that. Have something that speaks truth to that man and uh, have it be received in that way that people understood me and felt me. That means the world. Fantastic. So l let's talk uh, about uh, today and what's going on. Uh, I know you had some great TV as Derek on Russian Doll in 2022, but what are you working on now and, and what can we expect to see in the not too distant future from you? Uh, well, there's one project in particular that's coming down the canon that I'm not even able to talk about quite yet. Um, but sort of was the reason why I actually didn't end up going to do the MJ role back in the day. Um, so waiting on that to finish uh, being presented and announced and all that kind of stuff. So I'll let that cat out the bag when they are ready to let that cat out the bag. Okay. In the meantime, man, honestly, I've been, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of just riding the waves of this pandemic, honestly. I've taken the time because after doing Ain't Too Proud and getting ready to do the MJ show, like it took a lot from me in a way and not in a bad way, just like I I was depleted spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, so I've been taking my time to actually kind of be a person a little bit, go see my family, do the things that give me peace that, especially again, in the midst of all this chaos, I've been finding ways to just maintain my joy, maintain my health, my, my mental health. Uh, and then I found myself slowly getting back to finding that sort of inner kid in me that would like sit in his bedroom and play the drums for four hours straight or create songs. So I'm writing my own music. I'm helping other people write their music. I'm back, you know, playing the drums for the artists now. I'm, you know, working on a few series and documentary kind of style things based on my family's history that I want to see fleshed out and hopefully come to, a, you know, television series, stuff, stuff, stuff like that. Kind of getting back, to, getting to my own creativity, which I've been blessed, you know, to have so many opportunities in this field. Uh, but those those blessings, especially I've been going show to show to show literally since 2008. I've had very little time uh, and energy to devote to my own creations. And I finally heard the voice like, you've got some creating to do that, you know, I feel like I'd be very sad if I never got to it. So I'm in that process right now of finding my own voice uh, and using it. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't really care where or how it comes out or what the end product is. But I know I got a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to say and it's with, do it in my own way. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Incredibly honest and, and incredibly insightful into the process of a true artist. Um, I love that answer. So Thanks. let's ask you mentioned something and, and I wasn't sure if we should go there or not, but uh, I, let's go there. And you talked early when we were talking about Ailey about luck and yeah. uh, it plays an incredible role in our lives that you pick up a phone on a certain day when maybe you're going to walk out, you know, and not pick it up and let it go to the machine or you right. run into somebody or you see somebody like, um, uh, you know, Derek who ends up playing Otis Williams, who you knew from Little Mermaid, right? That's luck. Yeah, you know, running back into somebody like that. Talk about the role of luck and that you sort of can't look back in life, right? You have opportunities, you have great successes. Sometimes you make choices, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Seeing Miles Frost have the success he's had in MJ, I got to think from a human vantage point, 
you know, there's some lamenting, but all you can ever do in life is say, hey, if I knew what I knew then, I'd make the same decision again. And you don't look back. And exactly. I'm, guess I'm guessing that's how you view it. That's how I would view it. And I'm Absolutely. guessing that's how you view it too. Absolutely, man. It was in that moment, making that decision, I knew that I was following my heart. And no matter what, you know, that taking a leap of faith, I think taking a leap of faith in a genuine and honest way with good intentions, no matter if you fall flat on your face or if that leap of faith is the one that you go soaring to the clouds in, it's always going to benefit you. Um, I believe, you know, they call it luck. I believe I call it uh, purpose. And I was having this discussion with a friend of mine about purpose um, because you don't, we don't always know what, what the purpose is at times. But it doesn't mean that the moment itself is not purposeful. So like you said, being able to stay peaceful, stay grounded, not look back, only look forward, um, and allow the purpose and allow the universe to literally take you where, you're, where it wants you to be, where you're going to be able to serve the highest calling that you're called to. Um, it reminds me again of that time when I was at Alien. I wanted to be at Alien. Those doors were closing, and I didn't know why. You know what I mean? And then lo and behold, right after that, oh, here's why. Here's where you belong. You know, so when that moment happened, um, I knew, I was like, of course, the, I'm a human, so I felt, I was like, oh, man, did I make the wrong decision? All those thoughts, of course, I'd be a liar to say they didn't go through my head. But ultimately, I'm like, I could breathe a, a, breath, a breath of relief, Abe, for following my heart, B, that the show is doing well, that my action of backing out, so to so, kind of last minute, didn't hurt the show. And especially the person that they brought in, is hammering it and this is his purpose this is his calling yeah. and i'm grateful that he's being so received despite my own actions you know what i mean like that could have been tricky um so i'm grateful overall and now to hear the voice of kind of getting started to understand a little bit more of why i was called away um i'm just i'm, I'm more excited uh than anything because i get to i get to see uh what i couldn't see and it's not what i could have seen you know what i mean yeah. uh, so that's more interesting to me yeah, it's a great story. And, and I think all you can ever do in life is if you, you know, knew what you knew, then would you make the same decision? And if the Absolutely. answer to that is yes, then you're always standing on solid ground. Absolutely. And um, I love that use of not luck, but purpose. Um, listen, you are a jewel of a guy and an extraordinary talent. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated the chance to talk to you. Uh, same. I started off by saying I'm a huge fan and I'll and by saying I'm a huge fan. And uh, I was uh, heartbroken when I went back to see the show again and you weren't in it. <laughs> um, but I understood that we were lucky to have you, you know, for as long as we did in A2 Proud and, uh, and so many other things. And I'm thrilled that you're getting a chance to explore your own creativity again and taking that time to, you know, just do what you want to do and see where it ends up. I think that's a great, great story as well. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me and all the these warm vibes, great vibe. It's never been more important to produce effective video ads, but many businesses don't even know where to start. That's where QuickFrame by Mountain comes in. QuickFrame has facilitated more than 65,000 high-performing on-brand video ads designed for audience specificity and rapid creative testing. Their solution helps brands of all sizes iterate and improve upon campaigns mid-flight to create more effective content more efficiently. It's not too good to be true. It's just how QuickFrame works. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more.